Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, my dear summer listeners. If you're hearing this message, it means we're on our summer break for 2023. While we're taking a few weeks off, we are re-releasing some of our favorite artist episodes from this past season. If you've already listened to them all and don't need a second listen, then I thank you for your download and please enjoy the next hour of podcast free time for yourself. Maybe go outside, listen to some music, or just listen to yourself think. A very useful exercise. However, if you didn't catch them all and or you want to take another listen to some of our great artists from this past season, then please enjoy you know we'll be back with fresh episodes in August and already have a lot of great ones recorded with both artists and schools, including some more Tony winners for our Tony hungry fans out there. I don't know why I said Tony like I'm from Pittsburgh, but I just did it just to throw some summer fun in for you. Um, I love you all and I thank you for making Mapping the College Edition a part of your listening diet and I'll talk to you again soon. Enjoy! a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today, we've got a too-legit-to-quit show lined up for you. I feel like I pronounced a lot of the words weirdly in that intro. It was demystifying and landscape. It kind of sounded British. Whatever, we're keeping it all in. We have got Beth Malone of Fun Home fame on the show today. Um, I was really excited to chat with Beth and she did not disappoint. Um, I think she's really a great example of the kind of artist that I was excited to have on this show when we conceived those two episode types of talking to colleges and then talking to artists. Uh, as I think she's a really interesting person for young career artists to try to walk in her shoes. Um, so I really think you'll enjoy this episode where we talked about Beth closing down her first college and then going on tour with a rock band and then her journey back to undergrad and eventually going to grad school. We talked about some of her success in the commercial world. Uh, she called Ring of Fire a big piece of turd. Uh, we talked about her experience with Fun Home. We talked about how type has affected Beth and we try to put a little bow on this runner of type we've talked about a lot. We may bring it up a couple other times but I'm not going to keep hitting it so many more times with so many of the artists. Um, we talked about writing a musical with an indigo girl. We talk about zero plastic, which is a big thing that Beth is trying to do for the Broadway community. And we talk about Beth's advice to keep not quitting. Um, before we get into the episode, though, it is mid-October. The pumpkin spice pre-screen season is in its full ripeness. And I know many of our students are starting to excitedly look forward at early auditions coming up. Um, Leo and I just got back from Pittsburgh Unifieds, where I also got to see many of our amazing MTCA students and meet some non-MTCA student listeners, which is always a thrill as well. Um, and it was also so nice for me personally, because my mom lives in Pittsburgh, and so she got to hang out with Solvay and Elizabeth, especially because Solvay just started walking last week. Those of us who have been with me for the whole journey, you saw me through pregnancy and birth, and now I have a child who walks. It's unbelievable. Um, and really fun for my mom to be one of the first people she walked to. Um, for any grandmas among our listenership, you will know how precious and exciting a moment that was. 
And of course, in true mom slash grandma style, she fully exaggerates it all. Um, she was like watching Solvay while Elizabeth and I were at dinner with our friend Hillary, who's currently teaching at Carnegie Mellon. Shout out, Hillary. Uh, and my mom relays the story back that apparently Solvay ran into her arms when I called or when she called. Ran. She says she ran. I mean, I might believe a stumble, but the kid just started a walk a few days ago, and now she's trying to sell me on a run. Next, she's going to be telling me she was like reading her books or speaking French or who knows. Um, but I will say on a more serious note, as exciting a time of year as this is, and I know many of our students are really excited right now, I also know how stressful it is every year. Um, Beth, at the end of the episode, gives some advice about keep not quitting, which is ironically very similar to the advice I gave at the end of our last webinar where we were discussing early auditions. I think this is definitely a time of year to dig deep, to hold on to the vision of that dream, and to keep going. The process gets a lot more fun later, I promise. But right now, it is very stressful and hard for everyone, no matter how much you've prepped. Though certainly it's easier if you've set yourself up more with preparation. But wherever you are, you can do it. So I just say to you, keep going. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. Be kind to yourself and just know you are far from alone in the stress of this crazy process. Okay, on that lovely note, let's get to this episode with the wonderful Beth Malone. Well, we are honored to be joined by the wonderful Beth Malone. Uh, Beth spent a few years at Loretta Heights College before attending Northern Colorado, where she completed her BA and got an MFA in acting from UC Irvine. Can't wait to talk about that educational um, journey. Uh, she's been on Broadway in Fun Home, for which she got a Tony nom, Ring of Fire, Angels in America, Off-Broadway in things like The Unsinkable Molly Brown and The Marvelous Wonderettes. She's been on your TV screens in The Good Wife and Bluff City Law and many others. Seems like a lot of law stuff. That's a law and order. Seems like a lot of lawyers. Um, and films like Hick, the comedian, and a cameo in the recent Tick, Tick, Boom, I saw. Uh, she's also made a, a one-woman show, and I'm so excited to talk about a show she's currently developing called Starstruck with one of the Indigo Girls writing the score. Beth, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm so happy to have you on the pod. Um, and I want to start with, if you can, to journey back a little bit, because we're going to take you th us through that journey of all the different education. When you were 16, 17, if you were thinking about, hey, I think I do want to be a performer or, or what you thought you wanted from your artistic and general life, what were you looking at in the college? What, what made you end up at Loretta Heights? What made you, what kind of journey were you exploring as you thought, hey, I think I might want to do this if you felt that way? When I was uh, starting to formulate a post high school plan, um, Loretto Heights College was the only thing in Colorado where I lived that was sort of conservatory training. And every mm -hmm. great actor in, in our region seemed to have come from there. So I was looking at those folks and going, okay, so they all seem to know something. And that program seems to be really turning out um, really exciting performers, talented people. And I wanted to just be one of them, wanted to be part of it. And um, so I went there and I only got to go as a freshman and then it closed. The whole school closed. It was just- You closed it down. It was because of you? Devastating. Like, no, no, this is it. Now we gotta, we gotta shut this down right now. <laughs> so that was a drag and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I went on tour with a rock band for a year mm -hmm. and that really just kind of like derailed my 
trajectory. I think if it hadn't closed, I probably would have gone all four years and gotten an undergrad really early. Or, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, like Les Mis was auditioning and I, I had sent like a, I just, I think that my, my, I, I sent an audition tape for, for Les Mis and, and I got response, like they invited me to come to audition, but I didn't go because I was too scared or I just didn't realize like I should go. And I think if I had had a program of professional um, minded instructors saying, okay, Beth, you're going to do this. You're going to book a ticket and we're going to go to a hotel and we're going while we're there, we're going to meet an agent, you know, like anything except for, oh, thanks. That's exciting. Um, Well, if I'm ever in New York, I'll look you up. Click. You know, like that was nuts. So that was what happened. Um, so, wait, so you were so you talked about the kind of fear of, of maybe go jumping to New York for that audition. Was there some um, specific I want to stay in Colorado goals for you in high school? Were you saying I do want to stay nearby or, or well, what made you say oh, this is the only one in Colorado and therefore I was going to stay there? It was the year. It was the it was the era of fame, the TV show fame. So, I mean, uh-huh. it was all this big romantic idea of like, you got to go to New York and you got to be on Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, and that whole thing. And I, I never thought, well, I want to stay in Colorado forever. Uh, I just didn't have a realistic path because it was all just a fantasy. You know, it was all just mm-hmm. as much as like, I want to go to Oz and live with the Munchkins. You know, that's what it felt like. It was like to be raised on a ranch in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, to uh-huh. be like, I want to go to Broadway was like, basically like saying, I want to go to Oz. I want to go live, uh-huh. you know, with where Glinda lives. Um, <clears throat> so and yet you did do it. You got to live where Glinda lives. Yeah, but it took me a long time to figure it out. It took me a long time to battle like um, my ideas of like what they were as opposed to what mm-hmm. I am, you know, to, to, to reconcile that I'm, I'm one of the people that gets to go there and be on the stage and be, you know, with the fancy people that I revere, you know, mm-hmm. it took a long time for me to, to get, my own head around it and, and stop demystify it a little bit, you know? And what about your parents? Were your parents supportive at this time? Did they, did they see that dream as, as far away off as you saw it? And they were like, ah, oh, Beth, I would do anything else. You should get a degree in science or how did they feel? No, I just think my dad was like, you should learn to type. You should get your real estate license and you know, that sort of thing. Cause he just was afraid and didn't really have, he doesn't know idea. My mom was a little bit more like, you can do anything if you just dream. And, but with no, like, skills no no like uh reality check-in it's like how do we do this let's 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 there's a systematic path you know there's mm-hmm. no like uh, fundamental set of instructions to get from here to there it's like it was all just like this pipe dream so in order to figure out the actual nuts and bolts of it it was all me i had to do it mm-hmm. and all all on my own and and really i just did it incrementally and school was a complete and total resource for me. I, I, the structure was really good for me because I I came from the kind of a chaotic upbringing and Mm -hmm. to, to get into a training program where I, you know, where I could develop some good habits and uh, some reliable technique, 
mm-hmm. and um, you know network with people and and be you know with with our people. That was all just really really positive for me. So so undergrad- catch us back up to the journey. So yeah, so you're, you 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 closed down undergrad with a, a a bad monologue or whatever you did, and then you went to a rock band for a year. Now you've decided you're going to go to Northern Colorado. Take, take us now through the UC Irvine experience. Okay, well I did like. I went to, I went and I started working at this like dinner theater also. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I got my equity card and then I went back to undergrad with an equity card um, because I went to university of Northern Colorado, which is this um, pretty good program. Now, I don't think it was as good back then when I went, but it still was like everyone who got kicked out of Loretto Heights was like looking for a place to be. So we all kind of ended up up there and, um, and it was, it was pretty good, but now I think it's very good. Um, University of Northern Colorado, UNC in Colorado is a great theater training program in this town. So um, I did that. And then I kept getting jobs because I had already tasted professional theater. So I kept mm-hmm. leaving. Oh, I'm just going to take three months off and do this tour or do this equity gig or da, da, da. You know, so I just, it took me a long time to finish. I didn't finish till I was 26 years old. Mm-hmm. So I got my undergrad at 26. But at that point I knew like my undergrad degree was going to be toilet paper. I thought an undergrad degree in theater, what am I going to, you know, what is anyone mm-hmm. really going to do with that um, except for work? So if I'm not going to work as a professional actor, I could see like waitressing in my future. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get, I'm going to jump right into Erda's. I'm going to go to UC Irvine. I'm going to get my master's so at least I can teach at a university um, if, if, if this doesn't, you know, become my, if I don't become a performer, I want to become a, at least a teacher. But this was just like a. And, and that was the motivation for grad school was but was backup grad, plan basically. Yeah. It was like, like a, I'm already working, but I don't know. I, I need more of a degree if I want to teach eventually. Like at the point where I was like, I'd never, I'd never worked in New York yet. Mm-hmm. I'd never made more than I'd never made more than a thousand dollars a week. You know, there was mm-hmm. like this. I was like, I was a practical person who was looking at the future, thinking. I, I want to have health insurance and I want to have a yep. 401k and a house. And I want, and at that point I'd met my wife and I, I was with her throughout this whole journey. So, you know, she's very pragmatic and she was like, maybe I want to get a master's degree and like, we'll have like mm-hmm. a stable college professor life in some cool like ski town. You can teach mm-hmm. theater. I mean, it was a, a great idea. Right. But um, then as we moved and I graduated and I got a great education at UC Irvine. I mean, I didn't even study musical theater. I studied acting with the great mm-hmm. Robert Cohen. And, um, you know, he's written a lot of textbooks that we've all read, Robert Cohen. And he was a teacher there at the time, a professor. And um, got a lot of really amazing skills. That program was um, heavy based on, like, uh, vocal vocal technique, vocal production, um, for you speech, mean like acting voice technique there? Acting voice technique mm-hmm. and then also um, movement and then mm-hmm. acting. So it was a three-headed monster that that program was like really, really movement-based, really, really vocal production-based. So you can go on and do like Shakespeare festivals and and that is a really employable um, journey for a lot of people who end up, you know, you get to go to Ashland, Oregon and spend 10 mm-hmm. years doing Shakespeare, that's like, you consider yourself like blessed in that way. But you have many musical theater skills. So how, how are you at the time? Are you still taking voice lessons? Are you just blessed with a voice from the gods that you don't have to practice? Or how are you then keeping up those sort of musical theater skills beyond just the acting skills? 
I kind of like hid, I hid the fact that I could sing so that I would be taken seriously as an actor um, during that time. And then at one point I, I did um, come in with guns blazing and they were like, wait a second, um, you're, a, you're a musical theater star. That's what you are. And I was like, okay. And then, and then they started casting me, you know, like that which was great. But then by the time they had done that, I had already proven myself like with, without having to sing, you know what I mean? I just didn't, I didn't know if I could act or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I wanted to prove it to myself. So I just kind of was like, I don't want to rest on the big belty voice. I want to see if I can act. And that's why yeah. I went there. I didn't go to a musical theater program. I went to an acting program. All right. So then now you've graduated from, from UC Irvine. Are you immediately hitting a splash now in New York City? Do you move right there? How do you now make the journey to still some years here before we're going to hit Fun Home or even just or hit Broadway? Meet me. Yeah, I know. So Shelly and I move up to L.A. and I started working in TV commercials. I just started booking mm -hmm. a ton of TV commercials. If you YouTube me, you'll see me with like this husband and that husband and holding <laughs> a dog and, you know, rappelling off a cliff and looking at the target dog, you know, like tons and tons of like McDonald's, you know, it's just, it was like 10 years of making great money. Cause that was the time it was like right before the internet, uh -huh. <laughs> I know, the archaic Before internet. you knew these would be permanent. Yeah. Before you knew yeah. YouTube you for all these commercials. It was like, I mean, the internet was happening, but it wasn't like internet usage was just being negotiated with SAG and things like that, mm -hmm. that have made commercials a lot less lucrative. I think, um, I haven't made a commercial in a long time. Once I played opposite Norbert Leo Butts in a, Pillsbury Biscuits commercials. You can look that up on YouTube. That's fun. Oh my. Yeah. We'll put that um, in the show notes for sure. For sure. Uh, and then, and then like I was doing musical theater regionally in, around LA to keep my insurance weeks up and to uh -huh. have fun and to make money. But also it wasn't a career move. I don't think doing musical theater in Los Angeles isn't like mm -hmm. anybody's like life goal. Yeah, it is not a theater town. That's not where you go. No, to it's in. not a theater town. People go see it and it's nice, but it's not like respected or anything. It's mm -hmm. like it's a way to keep your health insurance. And, but it's not like anything really mm -hmm. like, I, and I got an agent and I started auditioning for things. And then I got, I got, I got ring of fire out of mm -hmm. LA. I went to an audition in Los Angeles and booked a Broadway <laughs> show. So I was like, wow. Oh my gosh. And it was like, I was playing opposite Jared Emick and I was coming from nowhere. And I thought, Oh my mm -hmm. God, I've hit the lottery. I had no idea it was going to be this big piece of turd. I had no idea that, that <laughs> Ring of Fire was going to be such a big breaking turd. news. You you feel comfortable describing it as a big piece of turd. This is what's going to be on the file. I'm sorry, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was I mean, we, when we were out of town in Buffalo, New York, people mm -hmm. were off our feet before the curtain came down. We were like uh -huh. beetles in Buffalo. And then <laughs> We transferred to New York City. <laughs> it was not as well received. Mm -hmm. I, went, I went to the TKTS booth once during the day, and I, I just was like talking to the TKTS guy. He had no idea who I was. And I was like, so what do you think of that ring of fire? And he was like, oh, no, no, don't go say that. So, he, I mean, the TKTS, <laughs> the TKTS guy was telling tourists, oh, God, no, God, no. Well, and this I was, was like, the problem. It's the poor TKTS guy. He's ruining it for you. <laughs> You know, that's where you get your, that's where you get your samples. Terrible. And we closed, but I did bingo off Broadway right before that. So I had this wow. season where I was like off Broadway and then Broadway all in like 2007. I was like, this is the year mm -hmm. I'm making my New York, you know, 
like I'm breaking through and and it was like moving back to LA you know and Mm -hmm. I just moved back and then I did sister act in its formative stages around LA that took a cup that took a year and then when it Uh transferred it it took so long to transfer I was literally 40 years old when it transferred and they cast Uh someone 20 years younger than me not 10 years younger, 20 years younger than me when I lost that part. And I was like, oh. Okay, well, I can't. I look young for my age, but still. I don't look quite young. When I, when I look back at the, that, though, I was like devastated. And I thought, oh, no, my life's over. My career's over. I thought that was going to be the thing. Um, it, I would not have got a fun home. That if I had played that young nun and had been, you know, the town of Broadway really kind of... They do pigeonhole you. They do. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at you and they're like, oh, no, she can do this and she can do that. And now, now after Fun Home, I've had an issue like just being seen for anything else, you know. Uh-huh. So they just want you to do that again and again and again. Yeah, they just, they're like, and then that's why I have this hair now. And I've been, I just shot, a, I got a series regular on an Apple TV show this year and I just finished shooting. That's, that's what I have to do because uh, Broadway is very temperamental as far as like who's yes. trendy. I want to get into both of those questions, but before I dive too deep into to that, just tell me a little bit about the fun home experience. Um, you know, I know you've done a n- number of amazing shows at that point, but it seems like that was a pretty incredible opportunity in a special role in a special production. You know, I know something Elizabeth often will talk about of like post jagged of just like, there are so few like excellent leading roles for women past a certain age. You know, once you're, you're past 25 or 30 or whatever, it's like, there's only, there's a, there's a limited number of roles that you go, there's, this is so meaty and I really can dive into it. So, and this seems like it was one of them, right? So what was the experience of working on it, developing it? What, tell me all about that. Yeah, it was a miracle. It was like kind of a bolt of lightning from the blue sort of thing. I was really literally thinking about like transitioning out of the business again because I, mm-hmm. I had had a period of time where I just couldn't see a way forward uh, after I came back to L.A. and... And then, uh, then the last of Sister Act, and I just thought, you know, I really thought, okay, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen next, so I have to start thinking about, like, using my master's degree to go teach college. So I was in the middle of building a CV when my, my agent was like, hey, you want to put yourself on tape? I'm in L.A. again. For this mm-hmm. thing that's going to be at the public, it's just a reading, just a reading. So the way Fun Home came to me was, like, no pressure. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, you're auditioning for a Broadway show. It was like, hey, just like uh, read these few lines into the camera and we'll send it and see what what they think. And it was like a day later they called and said, yeah, they'd like you to do it. So Mm. it it started as a a pinprick. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a, I always say it's like a, putting a lobster in cold water and turning Uh heat like from a cold Slowly boiling it. Slow boil. When When I started receiving the songs in my inbox. And when I started receiving the script, it immediately felt special and hmm. giant and magical. And I, I learned it. I was very protective of it. I, I wasn't talking about it a lot. I, you know what I mean? Like when you get something that's so good, you don't even talk about uh-huh. it. You're like, uh-huh. don't want to jinx it. Don't want to ruin it. Oh no, this is good. And, and it just like, I had no idea if it was commercial and, uh-huh. It wasn't commercial. Like, it really wasn't. It's not a commercial show even to this day, which uh-huh. is it's just a miracle and, and everything. You know, like, to have a lesbian leading lady, to have a, a, a stone butch down center was so audacious anyway, but to also 
get to have a fully rounded character that wasn't just, uh, you know, a punchline or something like that. And to have Mm -hmm. it be gay, because I mean, otherwise, like musical theater has a terrible lineage of, of like using the word dyke to elicit laughter. It's just like, Mm -hmm. I can cite like several, several cases in which the word dyke is, is a punchline Mm -hmm. and it's reductive. It's, it's really, um, it's very damaging, way more damaging than, than we know. You know, it just has this cumulative effect of just becoming a persona non grata. If you're a lesbian, you're just invisible. To be able to be in that room while that thing was being built, those minds were cooking away at like uh, trying and failing and like writing beautiful scenes and then taking them out and throwing them in the trash. You know, just mm-hmm. it was it was just an incredible, grueling experience of trying to figure out how to tell this story, how to take a graphic novel and make a musical out of it. First of all, it was like just a real like uh, challenge to what, what panels to show and what to not like, what is important about this book? So to be writing shotgun on all of that was, um, it was really something else. I know I learned, um, uh, it was like six master classes because it took forever. You know, we would do uh-huh. a 29 hour reading. Then we'd go away for three months. Then we'd go into Sundance and we'd do like a, a month long, thing where we'd work on it every other day and then we'd take it off. Then we would do this Mm -hmm. intense like lab production and this lab production, we were at the Shiva and that's the, that's the one right behind the box office. And it was just this flat stage and a couple like stadium benches. And uh, then all of, all of the celebrities started showing up. And that's when I Mm -hmm. knew like, this is something. I was just going to say, is that is was there the boiling water at some point? You're going, oh, crap. Like, did, did, was there a moment where you then noticed of this yeah. is, you know, m- maybe going. It's not only maybe going, but it's definitely going. It's not only definitely going, but it might be a hit. It might be a Tony nom. Like, it, are those things happening for you? Is there one moment that happened or was it all just literally slowly seeping in? It was an incremental thing. It was like, first first of all, we became like this buzz, you know, that way, way long time ago in, this, in the Shiva mm-hmm. production went away then we came into the newman and then we became to like like we extended and extended and extended we were the ticket to mm-hmm. get and then we mm-hmm. thought i mean there's this possibility that we could transfer like this show show could transfer and you know all of the producers that came along like barbara whitman and, and uh, mike isaacson and Kristen caskey those three came on at some point while we were at the newman and mm-hmm. at that point i thought this is bigger than we think. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, this thing that was in my inbox, Fun Home, it was this weird little title, it was private. <laughs> it was my own little secret show. People started saying Fun Home on the street. Like, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. When you start hearing the title out in the world, you're like, wow, it's, it's now. You've been it's reading my email? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it was really something, you know, to watch. And now it's like, a, oh, it's a cast album. Oh, it's a book with, with a title on it. It's not just like a paper or something in my book it's fun home now it's in the world so watch something get born like that is pretty wild okay let's take a short break and on the back end of this break we're going to get into some of those very conversations about type and the way the industry looks at you and some exciting stuff we'll be back it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right we are back with the great Beth Malone, and we're going to talk, she hinted at it a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about type, because um, we've been doing a little runner on kind of discussions of type in the past few months. I always emphasize to our college students, our college auditioning students, how little a consideration they should make it in their college material, that they want to work from their authentic selves, from the inside out rather than the outside in. Certainly that's true in the college world, or at least that I say it is so. But I do think it's important to draw that distinction that the business has not necessarily evolved to that point where anybody can play any role. That's just not, we're not yet at that point, even though hopefully we will be at some point. But so I just love to hear kind of like how has the conversation about type or the way that, you, if you want to think of it as brand or the way that you're viewed, how has it impacted your career through the years and and where is it now if, if it's changed? That's interesting. Before Fun Home and after Fun Home, it was like a seismic shift in my in my. Um you know, perception people. That's why when I did, I did this photo shoot in the middle of fun home where I, I got dressed up in full drag and I was like, put on a wig and makeup and eyelashes. And then in front of the camera, I took the wig off. I took the eyelashes off and I turned into Allison from that female presenting mm-hmm. thing because I just wanted to pull the curtain back on gender costuming and and discuss mm-hmm. and discuss people's perception and, and it just it wasn't really even that well received at the time or I think it was just like a little before the moment where I was trying to say this um, disservice we do by by you know I was talking to L Morgan who is in, in uh, a strange loop mm-hmm. and he, he, she's a trans woman and you know, she can play any female part that you want her to play, but you have to get out of your own way and see her as that, you know, just like she, she doesn't have to play a black trans woman. That is not what she has to play. She can play any woman. She really is a a stunning performer who's got a giant toolbox. And and if you Mm -hmm. want to have a kick-ass actress in your play, you might consider her, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. it's a really, really hard um, thing to just get past people's perceptions. And I'm not really sure how to do it, but I'll just tell you that they are there, they do exist, and you are going to be up against them. But I, I still think that doesn't mean that you play toward that. I think you still mm-hmm. don't consider that when you when you are thinking about what what material to use for your audition. Still, just lean into your your authentic self, the the most uh, self self that you can, because ultimately the world will catch up to you. It just might take a while. Uh-huh. 
But and do you find yourself consciously playing against? Like, I mean, you mentioned with your hair, which I had that same question to note of like, you look on, if you Getty image you or whatever, you look on, you have 16 different hairstyles. Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, sometimes it's gray, sometimes it's black. Like we're just, we're going, you're showing me all these different options. Is that something you consciously think about in terms of like what my brand is or what my brand can encompass? Or is it just like, I live my life and sometimes you catch me like this? Um, I, I, I don't think about it as the brand do, but I, I think like I was failing to be cast as a stone butch on television. And that's really mm -hmm. what I, after fun home, I mean, people are not writing musicals for me. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not like going, Oh, let's have Beth Malone in our musical. I don't know. Um, if, if fun home, you know, completely eradicated my usefulness in musicals forever, I'm not sure. Um, I just did Molly Brown, but it was like it, to get it to go to Broadway was like pushing a rock uphill. We had to eventually hook it in off Broadway. And, um, you know, getting that done was really hard with me at the center. You know, there was a Broadway producer who literally said, if you put Sutton Foster in the in the role, uh, uh, we'll do it. And, and, mm -hmm. and that just speaks to that, that whole thing of like how bankable someone is and that all of that has, has to do with perception. You know, uh, I, I cannot tell you how to, how to battle that because I haven't successfully, uh, navigated that myself. All I can tell you is, uh, I'm not going to let it change the way I attack material. I want to um, continue to listen to myself more and more and not less and less, because I think that's the thing you do when you're, when I was first out and about, I was like looking outward, trying to see what was there and be that. Okay. So that's, that's like, and that's why I did so many commercials. I was really good at it. Mm -hmm. Faker, I was a big faker, <laughs> um, but great at it and got a lot of money for it. So that was good. But, um, it, it was ultimately like, I'm not, this isn't my life. I don't want to, this is, I can't, this can't be it. I can't make my career out of this. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. look back and say like, I was a commercial actor. That's when I started to do the work that drew the right people to me. You know, my, the work I was doing made my people find me instead of me trying to pursue, pursue something elusive. I, I just did the work that I wanted to do, which was write a solo show. Mm -hmm. And then that solo show, um, I got a, a lesbian musical out of that. And then out of that, Lisa Crone saw both things. And so that made that phone call when they said, hey, will you put yourself on tape for this? I pretty much already had the part, but I didn't know it uh -huh. because Lisa was uh -huh. like, I think this girl uh -huh. will be the one. And as you move forward in your career, you're not necessarily saying, I want to play a lot more butch lesbians or I... I consciously want to play a femininely presenting straight woman or something like you're just saying, I'm, I'm going to go for the stuff that's interesting to me. Well, for TV, I'm like, I just want to get a job. So yes, I please give me a TV job, whatever everything. that means. I go, I go for everything, but I wasn't booking butch lesbians on TV. I would, they would think yeah. that they were going to get Alice and Bechtel. And when I would show up, yeah. I mean, even on TV, I just don't, I don't have like the bravado and the swagger mm -hmm of those sexy ass male presenting, um, charm machine, butch lesbians that I revere. I revere them. I'm just not them. I was playing one in fun home, but um, the, in, in a theater, I can get away with it. In a theater, I can get away with it because people cannot tell what I really look like behind the glasses and the short hair. They see glasses and short hair and a t-shirt and, and, and they cannot tell 
what I really look like. And then when I would go, God, you know, it was weird. When I would go to sign autographs, sometimes when people would be like, oh, you're pretty. And it was like insulting slash flattering and also about something more and upset, you know, like, and the fact that I grew my hair out and people are so happy about it, that also pisses me off. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, I don't know how to feel about all of it. And yet I did grow my hair out because I wanted to um, upset the apple cart and, and just like yeah. take the rug out from under people who think they know what I am, you know? I'm really curious if Fun Home was happening today as opposed to when it did, if we are enough farther along in our conversations of just just the, just the language being in the culture of being able to say like, oh, a masculinely presenting female or whatever, like would not have been something that we would have thought. Like, I, I mean, I, I think we, we were more categorizing people as opposed to understanding maybe spectrums of, oh, you can be this, but still present as this. And, you know, yeah. I, I wonder, I, w- I wonder I mean, if people would have felt it's, differently it's, at the stage doors. You know, and it's very much like even then it was not as evolved as now and there was like a blanket like a stone butch you know like a stone butch is one thing but like a butch dyke is a definitely specific thing and allison bechtel is not a butch dyke i mean Uh if you're gonna like stratify what kind of lesbian she's like more like a bookish nerdy geek lesbian Mm -hmm. the fact that she's male presenting just was like butch dyke so it's like Uh ah it's just not that simple it's not that and simple. Of course, what we talk about and all this stuff is like nobody is like nobody is the one thing. Nobody's the oh, all the no. quadrants go and you're just exactly that. I'm like you're that, but I'm also totally this, and I'm also I'm also you know myriad. I always say this. I try always saying like, when you close your eyes, and you feel yourself like residing in your body, do you feel female? Do you feel male? Do you feel gendered, or do you just feel like? a person, you know, I, I always feel like I'm a person. I'm not mm-hmm. a lady person. I, I, I don't know. The, the, the gender conversation is interesting to me. I think it's, it's, a, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the back when from Shakespeare, Shakespeare, they used to say, uh, I, I felt my mother come up in me. It was like, so we even <laughs> understood then, oh yeah, my, my mother lives in me. And, and all, all, you know, this would be men saying that on the, on the battlefield, basically saying that they were, the, the feminine side was coming out. It was like, of course we have those. Of course. Yeah. We have. Anyway, we could go deep, deep down the yeah, gender yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. but I have to talk about starstruck because this seems like the most amazing, brave, cool thing. Um, Cause this happened. If I understand this during the pandemic, Mm-hmm. you now reach out and, and I understand the Indigo girls were like someone you really revere, someone that you really admire. And now you've reached out to them and, and proposed this idea of doing a musical project together. Tell, tell me the story. And, and I did. And, and it was just Emily Sailors, not Amy Ray. I don't know Amy Ray. I only know Emily. Um, and I knew her um, in this very peripheral way. I'd met her a couple of times and I had this idea to write a lesbian Cyrano where the writer of the letters happens to be a woman. And so when Roxanne realizes that it was not Chris, it wasn't a man with a big nose, it was a woman. So um, that is, that was the, the great premise. The, 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 yeah. Like the footnotes um, of, of what the idea was. And then uh, I called Emily and I pitched it and she was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, like that. <laughs> And now you're the dog who caught the car and you're like, now what do I do? Or do I actually have to do this? Which is amazing. And then the thing about Emily is like, she wrote 
you know, half of the Indigo Girls songs and she owns the rights to all of them. And uh-huh. so I can use Indigo Girls songs in the, in the show, uh-huh. but they're really Emily's songs. So the uh-huh. Indigo Girls songs that you know and love that Emily wrote, um, some of them are in our show. And then there are a lot of uh, original tunes also. And we're in the middle of writing it. Yeah, you're writing the book. So in, is that something you've done before? So yeah, have, no. have you, I mean, it just seems like, wow, there's a whole, not only it's brave to be like, I'm going to try to work with this person I really admire and, and give that a shot, but also you're trying a new art form. I, I, from the bio, at least I didn't see she's written many musicals before. No, I wrote my solo show. You know, I co-wrote it. Um, I watched them write Fun Home. So it's asinine that I think that I should be writing the book of the Indigo Girls musical. It's asinine that I don't hire a, a, a book writer. And I've thought Wonderfully about- Wonderfully asinine. Yes, we agree. I know, but I, like, what if it's like, what if I'm wasting her time? You know, that's the, 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 the things that go through your head is like, what if I'm terrible at this? What if I'm wasting my her time? But every time we have a reading, I just get the most lovely feedback. And I think, you know, it's getting better and better and- I'm learning a lot and I, I'm co-writing it with um, a, 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 another writer who's never written a musical. So you would think uh-huh. if I was going to co-write it with someone, I would have gotten someone in the room who knows what they're doing, but I didn't choose that. I, choose, I chose a different writer, a, a, a poet, actually. So that yes. Yes. is also asinine, but this is what I'm doing and it's just painstakingly slow, but we do have uh, a lot of interest in it because it's Emily yeah. And, and because it's you, come on, because it's you too. Yeah, but I wouldn't think people would be like, oh, good idea, write a musical, because that's easy, because it is so hard. So hard, yeah. So hard to do. Oh, my God. And if you change one thing, it like retroactively screws you from the beginning. So we, I mean, like the revisions, oh, my God. Where does that bravery come from? Especially during a pandemic, I think when many of us were like shrinking into a turtle shell of, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Where what, what makes you say, I've already had this really successful career, but I want to take this new difficult, brave leap in many different ways. Where did that come from for you? What what made you say, yeah, I can do this. I can yes and this. I don't know. I just think part of it, you can see it as bravery, but part of it is like fear. I was, I'm afraid of giving into despair. Mm-hmm. I'm desperately afraid of giving into despair. I, I, I don't want to ever allow myself to go to a place of hopelessness because it's a terrifying place for me. I, I think people are like, oh, I can feel that. I'm going to sit here and feel this. I'm like, no, I'm not feeling that. I'm going to say, what can I do today? What can I do today? What would I have done if I had more time all those years? I would have, because this has been a, my mental shelf for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I have no more excuses. It's not like I don't have time. I have time. Mm-hmm. Time to grow my hair and write a musical. <laughs> those, are the th- those are my projects. <laughs> that is what I'm doing this pandemic. Uh, write a so musical. Cool. But I mean, Shakespeare wrote Lear during a pandemic. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. I know. I was, I've was. i been reading the Lear of Year, or the Year of Lear this whole time. The Year of Lear? You wrote it during a pandemic, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and tell me a little bit about, so like, what was it like working with you know, an idol. I mean, it's happened in different ways of people you've revered, but, but are, are you able to, is it just another pal in the room, another collaborator, you know, after a couple of sessions or, or do you sometimes remind yourself and to the point of saying, I don't want to waste your time or I don't want to, you know, if you go, God, this person's, you know, so, so good at this and I'm new at this. Like, do, do you ever feel that inferiority or how does it work in terms of your working relationship? I'm a huge nerd. You know, I'm a huge Indigo Girls fanatic. I was a nerd. I've seen them in concert more than I've seen any other group in concert. I mean, like, of a, a lesbian of my age 
They were just like very, very um, important in my formative years. And every single, every single album of theirs, I, I coincide with a different season of my life. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they really were the soundtrack of my, of my early life, um, the Indigo Girls. Mm-hmm. So to sort of um, have all that, and then also you have to set it down in order to work. You have to. Uh-huh. Like when I had to start giving Emily notes, when I had to start Oof. giving Emily Saliers like a criticism or like a, a note, like I'm talking to her this morning about what is quantum field theory. And I'm giving mm-hmm. her all kinds of texts about like, here, watch this video and this. And because uh, I want to like, I want to push her writing in a direction. I am influencing the way Emily's uh-huh. writing right now. And that. Uh, arc of being a person who's like, I can't really talk to you because I I love Uh you. You know, I just love her so much that it's a hindrance. And she's Uh told me in the past, she goes, the only thing that's going to stop this is like you being an idiot. You've got to knock it off. Like, you know, Uh I'm just a person, you know, she doesn't say that, but there were early times where I was just like, I can't function. I just, I'm too big a fan. I can't. Well, it is so crazy that this is someone who's influenced you and influenced your musical taste, I'm sure, for the rock band that you're in. All this, and now you're influencing their musical taste, and even in subtle ways as you're pushing them. Unbelievable. And she's written some gorgeous songs, gorgeous original tunes. And I have, you know, she's let me noodle with her lyrics a little bit. And that is also insane. Like, we've co-wrote a couple things now, and it's like wild. I was just gonna say, why is quantum field theory in Cyrano de Bergerac? What's is that a? Is there like a really important? I'm just trying to remember. I have read the original. I'm no, not sure this uh, it's it's a very text. it's a broad adaptation. Let me just say uh-huh. it's a broad adaptation. Okay. Um, and you know how Cyrano is a, a astronomer. Uh-huh. So that is we have adapt we have adopted that and we have set this um, in a dark sky reserve. A dark sky uh-huh. reserve is uh, a place where they do. Um, external lighting compliances, so you don't no no light in, those in the night sky yeah. with light bleed yeah. and glare and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, so there is an astronomer, and it's Cyrano, and she is uh, a person who who believes in physics above all else, uh-huh. and not God. And then Roxanne comes and makes her believe in God, sort of, you know, like. Mm. That's the mm. short. That's the short of it. It's like oof. Twenty twenty three on Broadway. We're calling it right now. It's coming. It's happening. Ugh. Is that true? Am, am I predicting it correctly? I would say twenty four probably. Twenty twenty four on Broadway. It's happening. Thank you. Um, tell me a little. Also, I saw according to the internets that you're an LGBTQIA activist. Um, I would just love to hear a little bit about like what does that look like today? Because it's something that I talk a lot about with. Our students, you know, often they're asked in like a college interview of like, hey, what's a current event or a political issue that you really care about? Right. And we sometimes just have like discussions of like, how do you foresee their art mingling with their activism? You know, like if if they mingle together, if they're two separate things, I just would love to know, like, what for you has that experience been, you know, in, in the past and now and now? Um, well, I think when you are really visible, if you're a visible um lesbian in the arts right now i think activism kind of finds you you don't have to Mm. pursue it because there's still a ton of injustice out there and there's a lot of 
God, LGBTQIA youth that are homeless and suicidal. Um, there, there's always an opportunity to donate your time and energy to a cause, you know, to uh-huh. Covenant House, to you know, to places that are outreaching. Um, there are several um, places I donate to that are really. Uh-huh. Um, worthy worthy causes because they do they really do um they provide beds for people who need a safe place to go and was your experience you said that it was sort of you were being sought out like is the experience like i'm sure young people of uh, you know exploring their sexuality or young women who know that they're lesbian are they seeing you immediately and saying you're my idol i want to be like you like do you feel like the weight of that responsibility being a visible member of the lgbtqia community yeah there's um you know, during Fun Home, the second act of Fun Home, we said, was like the stage door where you just go out to the long line of folks who traveled from the far reaches of the United States to see this particular show. And you just listen. You just listen to them and their stories and what they want to tell you. And that is part of it. Um, and if they need help, you try to hook them up with the right um, organizations, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's, it's a very heavy deal. And the, the, the need is so immense still. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a New York times reporter who wanted to do a story kind of, uh, along the lines of like, gay is now like not a thing, you know, it's so accepted. Mm-hmm. So what's the next thing? And I was like, you know, I'm not going to contribute to that story because it's not true. And it's dangerous. That's dangerous. Like get uh-huh. out of New York city, get anywhere else. Uh-huh. You know, there's been this horrible, horrible backsliding that we've all witnessed over the last four or five years, and it isn't done. We're not done. It's just like mm-hmm. there's been so much damage, um, and you know, the, there's this real um, dangerous human nature that has been emboldened across uh, the culture right now. So we have to make sure that we're protecting our most vulnerable right now. And that is LGBTQ youth and that. And let me ask you an absolutely impossible follow-up question, which is as someone who's writing a musical with a lesbian lead or a lesbian, one of the leads being Mm -hmm. a lesbian actor, do you feel, I guess, do you feel conflicted in some ways of showing what feels like it might want to be prescriptive or or sort of like a, a vision of a lesbian leading character that is in some ways challenging societal norms or in some ways that you go, this is moving the conversation forward versus I guess the feels like the conflicting impulse as an artist sometimes is like to show all the complexity and truth and flaws, especially as we as we mix art and activism. Sometimes it, the art can become a little bit prescriptive, prescriptive or it can go, it should be the story goes like this and this because it can't fall into this trope or it can't fall into this, even though you're like, but maybe my character is going to fall into this trope or he's going to have the same flaws that every other person has. Or, you know, I guess I wonder, how does that conversation have? Are you aware of like Twitter as you're thinking about what am I writing for this oh, for my yeah. lesbian leading lady to do? It's interesting, you know, like the whole thing that happened with Jagged and um that. I wasn't talking specifically about that, Beth. I don't know where you got that idea. I have no oh idea my gosh, that whole Michigan! And I, I, I was very, I was following that very closely because uh, my dear friend Lauren Patton is at the of course at the epicenter From of that fun whole home. shit show. Yeah. But um, 
I am, I am doing something on purpose is a response to that. I have to say like, there is definitely a part of this show that is, is a response to that conversation. And what I said before about gender identity and like feeling like a, like a human underneath all of it. Of course I have an agenda. Of course I have a, a message for the people about gender and <laughs> rolled up in my little show. And of course it's going to draw a shit storm of abuse. I, I can already hear it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care. I need to say what I want to say about this in this time. Mm-hmm. I want to unite people and not continue to separate and label and subsect and sublabel and everything like, like it, it's important. I understand how gender is important and I want to honor people who are feeling targeted because they are not uh, allowed to present in the way that they want. But at the same time, we have a, a failing world and we have a lot of energy going in this, these other directions that could mm-hmm. be better put to use. I mm-hmm. just think our, our energies could be better put to use right now. It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. And we talked about this with Shakina Nafak is on the pod. Um, but the, just sort of the idea that like, also like art is not supposed to be an after school special. It's not supposed to be necessarily like exactly how you expect it to be and how you want it to be in your life. You know, so th- th- all of that, it's like, it, it's so, it's a complicated it's a big, complicated mess, of course. To this discuss. show doesn't have to be your truth. It doesn't right. have to be your truth. It, it can just be, be show. a character's truth. Yep. This is her journey. This is her truth. It doesn't have to represent all gay people across the globe. And it's yep. not gonna. Yep. Okay. On a slightly lighter note, we're going to play a little game. So as a frequent listener and fan of the pod, I know you'll know we play a unique game with all of our artists. Sometimes we get adventurous, but this is a simple and snappy one. It is one I'm proud of because I think it's very difficult. So I hope you're ready for a difficult game. Here's how this works. It's a simple categories game. I'm going to give you a song lyric slash quote, and you're going to tell me if it fits into one of these three categories. Is it an Indigo Girls song? You should do pretty well at that. A song slash quote from a show from your illustrious career, which to be fun, we're calling that an on did I go. So it's either indigo, on did I go, or none of the above, which could be something I made up. It could be from a different pop song, a different play, whatever. And we'll call those don't pass go. So it's either indigo, on did I go, or don't pass go. Make sense? Okay. Okay. It's going to start off easy, but it really gets hard. Like I gave Elizabeth some of these this morning. She's like, these are hard. So I'm sorry. I apologize. It gets difficult. I was literally just Googling for different quotes. So we'll see how we do. Okay. Quote number one, if we dare. Well, darkness has a hunger that's insatiable and lightness has a call that's hard to hear. Indigo. Indigo. Easy. We started you off easy, right? Am I falling into nothingness or flying into something so sublime? On did I go? On did I go? <laughs> you did that very well too. On did, On I go. did I go? Beautiful. That was from Fun Home. That was changing my major. Okay. All my life, I've painted with anger's brush. Indigo. Very good. From Keeper of My Heart. Okay, great. As flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. None of the above. None of the above. That was King Lear. How ironic that we're talking about King Lear. Okay, great. <laughs> we're doing great. You're 444 four, four so far. It's going to get harder. Okay. You can keep the drums, but the sticks have got to go. 
I feel like that is a none of the above. None of the above. That's from Full House. Full House. Not Fun Home, but Full House. I tried to be funny there. Okay, great. Um, I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. That is an on did I go. On did I go, though you thought it was a crap hole. What do you call it? A, 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 a big <laughs> fart or something? I forget exactly what you called it. Stinky turd. A stinky turd from a ring of fire. That's very good. Okay, yeah. here we go. No, Connie Cash is lovely, and that was an amazing lyric. Like, he's a brilliant songwriter. It just was yeah. like, we didn't have an it's idea. Just your work. Our so show. far, you've closed down a Broadway show and you've closed down a college. This is you, is clearly the issue it's here. It's we know. me. You're halfway done, you've yet to miss one, which I cannot imagine you're going to get all these um, without missing to. one. We'll see how you go. Okay. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. That's got to be Indigo's. You would think it's Star Wars. That's Yoda from Star Wars. I was like, don't pass go, but I thought it sounded like an indigo lyric. I like oh my that. God. Okay, God, okay. I told you you'd miss one. Okay, here we go. I'm telling okay. you, it's hard. I think if you touch me, your hand might fall off or something. Worst things have happened to people who've touched me. On did I go. That very is Very good. Fun. You recognized it. You Angels recognize it, but you don't know where it's from. Angels oh. in America. That's right. Very good. Very good. Okay. The slings and arrows, the passage narrows, the story harrowing, the word becomes flesh. None of the above. That was an indigo. That was indigo. It's from a song called When We Were Writers. When We Were Writers. I tried oh to fool you with God, the Shakespeare I reference. I love that song. And I had Come no on. idea what the lyrics. It's very hard to hear lyrics read. Yes, it's the, the slings and arrows, the passage narrows, the story harrowing, the word becomes flesh. I have no idea if that's how it said in the song itself. But okay, you're still doing great. You've got like a B plus here in terms of, okay. of your okay. percentage. That's Emily Salyer's writing right there. P.S. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. That is none of the above. That's none of the above. That's much ado about nothing. Okay, much we're great. Somehow Shakespeare and songs some some, some similar. Okay, yeah. only a couple more. They told me be sensible with your new love. Don't be fooled thinking this is the last you'll find. On did I go? Yes, from the marvelous Wonderettes. It's very good. Oh. I'm impressed with it. <laughs> You're showing a, an impressive knowledge of your own career. I made Cameron Adams do this with like un, parts she'd understudied and she was like not doing well with it. She's like, not I forgot all of this stuff from 15 years ago. Come on. Not fair. Okay. What's the point of money if you're not going to spend it on the people you love? On did I go. On did I go. That's, That's from Tick, Tick, Boom, which will count as an on did I go. You were in the, in the, the great little sequence there. Okay. Let the poets write that he had the tools for greatness, but the voices of his better angels were shouted down by his obsessive need to win. I have no idea. Of course. Let's call it a Don't Pass Go then, right? That's, a, that's from a West Wing quote. We've done West Wing in every single one of these. We have to squeeze it in when we can. Okay, great. Last but not least. Okay. If I didn't have a car, but I did have a guitar, and I played to my advantage when you let me. Oh, yeah, that's Indigo Girls. It's Indigo, Indigo. Girls, yes. song titled Elizabeth, which we thought would be appropriate to add. Okay, you did amazingly well with this game. I really was worried that you were going to get like two out of 14. So no. you did amazingly well. I'm very impressed with it. Thanks. Um, let's just wrap a little bit. We talked a bit about kind of branding in the larger sense. We talked about type, but we've been also doing a little runner on social media because um, I think it's something a lot of our uh, young listeners, especially in college, right out of college, are very interested in. Um, and in an episode that's going to run probably right before yours, we chatted with one of our former students who's like a TikTok star, like literally bought an apartment from TikTok money, which is insane yeah. to me. Um, but I kind of, we've also had some artists who say, I really avoid it. I really uh, avoid the fear of it. So I would just love to hear like, is it something you consciously use in your career? Um, and especially now living in Colorado, where it's like it's not, if someone who may not be native with technology in the same way that like a 
14 year old or whatever is right now. Like, how do you use technology, social media, the whole thing to sort of consciously, I don't know, brand yourself or, 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 or sell yourself from, from afar? I feel like I'm, I'm a, probably like a, a C minus student with the whole thing. Like, <laughs> so better at the trivia game. I just ha- had someone, like I'm doing concert for the, to benefit the Actors Fund and I wanted to put it on so people would buy tickets so that they could get money. And I, it's a really, really good idea for Actors Fund to get money. The only thing that's going to have to happen is like Beth Malone is going to have to figure out how to put link in bio. <laughs> And so what the hell, how do you do that? How does one do that? And what part of the thing do you push? So this is where I am with it. I'm not a TikToker. I enjoy it. People send me things. I'm obsessed Uh with this uh, drag queen who sings about potato salad. I think her name is Cupcake. I love her, but only when people send things to me, like your your favorite lesbian aunt. You're like, oh, I'm going to send my favorite lesbian aunt this Uh this really funny TikTok and she's going to get a good laugh out of it because she knows how to push the button that says play. Mm-hmm. That's about it. So I wouldn't follow it and I wouldn't do it. There's nothing I would do on TikTok. Oh my God. I mean, like what, what the pressure. Yeah. What about an Instagram or a Facebook or do, do you have any? Oh, I do Instagram, but I don't like or, I use it. Do you have any consciousness things. to it? Yeah. What are you, what are you thinking about as, as terms of what you're putting out into the internet? Mostly I use it to promote things unless I happen to take a really good picture that I uh-huh. love and then I put it on because it's just like, it's about a visual, you know, t- uh, uh, Instagram's supposed to be like about a visual thing that like goes whack, I think. Uh-huh. So once in uh-huh. a while when you take a great picture, like, oh God, I have to post that. It's just so good. Um, but don't use it to be like, here's what I'm eating and here, you know, here's what I'm doing now. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Right. And are you aware of like, what is your private and public life and how much your public life do you put online or how much your private life, I should say, do you put online publicly? Do you think about that kind of thing? Especially maybe in someone, the world of, you know, we're talking about activism and, and sort of how people might look up to you. Are you conscious of that in terms of your social media? Yeah, usage, slightly conscious of it. To? Like when I go to an opening night and I'm like, I'm going to wear something, I'm going to do the red carpet and those pictures are going to go out there. And so people are going to see what I look like tonight. That is, mm-hmm. I mean, like that is what opening nights are for. So that like mm-hmm. Jenny Anderson takes your picture and it ends up on Instagram and people are like, Oh, you grew your hair. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that that's about it. But it's like, you know, it's not fulfilling anything except that for me, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I keep a diary. So like, I don't need to keep my diary on the, uh-huh. on the social media, but I do use Facebook and, um, once in a while people were like, why don't you ever post a picture of your wife? And I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. because it's my wife and that's my Mm -hmm. life. You know, I don't, I'm not selling anything. You know, Mm -hmm. I usually use it to be like, promote this and promote that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or promote something like even like a social issue that I feel like, you know, people need to be aware of this plastics thing. I, if I had one goal in my larger life, my uh-huh. goal before I leave this planet is to get single-use plastics out of Broadway. I want uh-huh. our industry that we know and love to lead the way on this. If you go out to uh-huh. Brooklyn, you go to BAM, you're going to get yep. your your water's going to come in a cardboard box. Yep. Because they you think can do I'm it. paying thirty-two dollars for that whiskey at the Broadway show. I can you can afford a non-plastic cup. You would think. Amen. But no, it's not. It's not the single-use plastic cup. It's the water bottle. When you uh-huh. get a water and you, they hand you that plastic bottle of water, uh-huh. I want that out of our industry. 
It's, it's, it's let's not, make, let's make it happen. That's, that's what I want. So this is, you know, it might take 10 years, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm going to do it. I mean, certainly, I mean, that is the kind of thing I think if, when, when Starstruck comes to Broadway, I mean, yeah. is that not the thing you could kind of insist, Hey, at our theater, this is what we're going to do. And this is what, you know, and During then Molly Brown, I spearheaded this thing called a zero plastic production where mm-hmm. from day one to day to the closing that we're never going to provide that ubiquitous case of, uh-huh. you know, shrink wrapped plastic uh, uh-huh. water bottle case is not happening in our show. Mm-hmm. You bring a water bottle or you go thirsty, everybody, because mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, we're going to get this bubbler and you're all going to, so the, I know it's boring, but this is, this is my, this is, I'm like, God, you have to pick a small goal. Everybody just has to uh-huh. pick one small goal. And this is what I can do. And I think I can actually do it. It's a lot of plastic in, in the landfills because I don't think uh-huh. I don't think our Broadway houses are recycling like they say they are. Oh, we're, we're dropping a lot of tea here. So first we've got the the turd nugget that was the first show. Now we're accusing Broadway houses. It's gonna be we're about to be um what's it called when they aggregate? They're gonna aggregate to prove me wrong. I anyone who listens to this, I challenge. <laughs> show you. me the recycling. Show me the I truth of the recycling. Beth, and wrapping up here, I just would love to ask, you know, if you have a piece of advice for some of our young artists, you know, some of them are 16, 17, some of them are graduating school, some of them have already graduated school, but they're looking and let's say they want to be Beth Malone when they grow up. Like, I just want to be just like her. Maybe not take the specific path of Loretta Heights and all those things, but but if they want to be you when they grow up, uh, what advice would you give? What should they do to sort of get to be you or their own version of you? Boy, oh, you know, uh, pick someone better, eh? But like B... <laughs> Um, Next question. Like, yeah, just pick someone better. Um, I, I, I like just keep not quitting. You have to keep not quitting. The only way you're gonna guarantee yourself to fail is if you aren't there. I have a fear of stopping. I feel like that mm-hmm. drives me. Uh, it's not like a good thing. It's like a fear. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. but it does drive me, and I think something drives me every single day. I'm working. Um, on this job. Every single day, my mind is working on it. I truly love it. So it feels like a need and not a choice. Loving you is not a choice. It's who I am. It's the way I feel about mm-hmm. theater. I'm like, ugh, I just, I just, I'm, I'm a, I'm an animal of this, mm. of this business. Um, not the business, but just like the craft of it. I, I love it. it. For sure. Yeah. That's such good advice. Keep not quitting. I like that as a phrase of, it's not, mm-hmm. not just keep diving in, but it's like, keep just, you got to keep not quitting. Keep picking keep yourself back quitting. up on the mat. No. Yeah. Did you quit? Okay. Then you're definitely going to fail because you quit. Yeah. Yep. That's so true. Um, well, thank you so much for the time today, Beth. This was so wonderful. We know people could follow you at the Beth Malone on Instagram. We'll put we're gonna put that Norbert Leo Butts and You uh, commercial in the show notes. We'll put information about Starstruck for them to check it out and all these exciting things. Uh, is there anything else that we need to plug? Anything else that you go? Hey, we really should they, they should know this about me. No, it's just you know zero plastics. That's my thing. Zero plastics. I'm all about like the zero single use plastic container. Next time you go to pick up that water bottle, think twice. You know. All right, so you can leave a rating and review on this episode where you say, Beth, because of you, I'm giving up plastic and we'll, Yay! you know, like it back or whatever. Let's all do that. Um, Beth, you. thanks for the time. It was such so a joy. Welcome. Thank you. 
hot diggity dog. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Beth. Uh, I found her to be so warm and smart and open and funny, basically who I want my daughter to grow up to be, Um, and just like a really cool artist. For our younger listeners, go check out the Indigo Girls or ask your parents. Um, I think you'll really dig them. Um, For today's Deeper Dive, I'm probably not going to add a whole lot of new information, um, but I thought I might use this moment to kind of conclude our runner on type a bit. For what it's worth, I actually thought this was one of the most interesting um, conversations about type or branding, even though, of course, we didn't necessarily come up with any, you know, genius universal conclusions, which is not to say there aren't any helpful tidbits you can take away from these conversations, but I think there probably aren't any true hard and fast rules that apply to all people across all quote unquote types. Um, But truly, the reason I keep bringing it up is just to make sure I made clear for our current students and parents or people who had been MTCA students and parents how strongly I believe that from the college process, you should work from the inside out, not the outside in, when exploring your college edition material. And I do think in that process, if you hear any high school directors or teachers or coaches who are less informed about type, you know, you should definitely do X, Y, Z because you look like ABC or any, anybody who's kind of overly branding you or trying to polish you, run away from those people. You gotta talk to some artists in this process if that's the kind of advice you're getting, you know, come seek out an MTCA or, or someone else who's really um, artistic, not someone else who's really artistic, just make it us, but if it wasn't us, it should be someone else who's really an artist and understands the artistic process, not just the sort of branding, casting director, that kind of thing. Um, there isn't, with college, a way to kind of solve the process by manicuring a, a perfect look and singing songs that are just right for your look, etc., you know, it's so cheesy and you hear it again and again from these schools. I mean, literally look at the number of schools who say this exact words, but, or these exact words, but it really is about the authenticity of who you are, right? It is so important to lead with the authenticity of who you are as an artist and a human being and let them decide what to do with you, right? That's the college side of it. But for the professional side of it, as you've heard a number of these artists say, I still tend to come down pretty hard with Beth and a lot of others on the side that it is still what you should continue to do, that you're going to have a more fruitful and sustainable and satisfying career by continuing to tap into your authentic artistry and leading from there. However, where I will say I know it to be capital T true from the college perspective that this is how you should approach your your process, I think it is a much more complicated question or decision for yourself as a young professional. Exactly what that means, where you draw the line for yourself as an artist, is an incredibly personal choice. I mean, you've heard Beth talk about not wanting to do nothing but commercials, that she was doing a ton of commercials, and that wasn't what she wanted her whole career to be. And let's just be honest, when you talk about like commercials, the world of that commercial audition is very little about artistry and a ton about what you look like, what you sound like, how you want to brand yourself. It can certainly, in some cases, be about your quick wit for like fun or funny commercials, but even that is often not true. Um, I don't tell a lot of stories from my career, but I'll tell, I remember going in for a Dockers commercial. Uh, Dockers is like a pants company for you know people who are under whatever, 25. Um, it was pretty shortly out of school, and I just remember thinking like how incredibly similar we all looked. They like clearly were bringing in someone who looked a whole lot like me with the biggest difference being just like a bunch of different waist sizes. So there was like super buff version of me, slightly buffer version of me, super skinny version of me, slightly plumper version of me, like all the different kind of waist sizes around people who looked a lot like me. That's what commercials are. They are trying to sell a product and you really, in a lot of ways, are kind of a prop to sell that product. There's not normally a ton of artistry involved. That's not to say there aren't artistic commercials out there, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? 
And while I would say that is less true in the theater and musical theater world, there are absolutely aspects of this in the Broadway community. Basically, the more money something costs, the more money something expects to make, the more it starts acting like one of those commercials, or at least a mix of that, right? You might have some of the real artistry, the director's fighting for this, but then the producers are talking about XYZ in terms of who's got the most Instagram followers, who's got you know more commercial considerations. It's never gonna be quite the same extent as a true commercial audition or industrial or that kind of thing, but that certainly is gonna exist. The reason I say all that is not to say that you should therefore necessarily play into type. Again, I'm saying maybe not would be my general advice in some of the ways that, you know, we've discussed on these episodes, but mostly just so that you're not shocked when you encounter it. You know, the reason I'm doing this is what I'm telling you is true about the college world and the way that artists think, right? The vast, vast majority of these college programs are run by former actors, sometimes current actors still, former directors, sometimes current directors, etc. They're all artists, right? The people who run these, these programs. Whereas on the other side of the, the table and in the real world, there's a whole world of casting directors, agents, managers, producers, studio executives. Some of those people also happen to truly be artists, but not everyone you encounter will think about art artistically in the way that, that we're talking, right? You're going to hear a lot that's going to sound like it's going to counter some of this like inside out thinking that I'm advising you do and some of this authentic artistry plays that I'm talking about, right? You know, the first time you hear an agent tell you that, hey, you got to cut your hair or, hey, what if we started selling maybe a part of your identity, whether that's like we got to sell your gender identity or we got to sell your race or sell your sexuality or something like that, right? How you navigate that moment is really up to you. And I think it's a totally valid path, in my opinion, if you want to say, hell yeah, this is my truth anyway. Let's just make some money off this aspect of my identity that I already embrace. If it's just about, do I have to change clothing or change a hairstyle or something like that? Totally up to you, right? Or if you want to say, hey, I know that may make me more attractive commercially, but it just isn't authentic to me. It's not how I want to live my life. It's not how I want to put myself out there in the world. That's totally okay too. So it's really not me recommending one of those or over the other. But you know, as we talk about this sort of ever shifting world that we're living in, you know, I do think there is less aggressive typing than there used to be maybe 20 years ago, where it would not be uncommon for someone to say, hey, uh, you, you got to lose 10 pounds to fit your type. You know, that's that's not going to work, right? Th- that does, you know, that's certainly less than it used to be, but that does still exist out there. You're going to see people who are going to do stuff like that, if not exactly that, right? Even as you feel the shift, it's never a clean shift and it never happens all in one. Um And we also, the other reason I bring this up is we are going to have some more of these commercial industry type guests on the pod. Um, I have one recorded already with an awesome manager. It's Jeff Soffer. Um, And I'm scheduling with people in the casting director and the agent world as well. And I really just want to kind of sprinkle them in. I don't want to make it all about that side of things since I do really want to keep this as a conversation about artistic paths from artists, right? I don't want this to kind of become a how-to. I think it's just kind of a different kind of pod of like how to make your resume and how to go find an agent. You know, we'll, we'll dabble with that kind of stuff, but I don't, I think we're really going to keep it more about the artistic paths that you can take. Um, but I do think it'll be helpful to hear from some of those really artistically minded members of that part of the business as well. To hear those episodes and many more, you better hit that follow slash subscribe button on your podcast feed. That is, unless you've already hit it, in which case I don't want you to hit it again because that will unsubscribe you unless you're choosing to do that out of principle because you don't want to hear any more commercial sounding podcasts. I respect that if so. Otherwise, you can reach out to us with questions directly for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or hit me on Twitter, Instagram at Charmor7, where did you see it? I did post. It happened. It was wonderful. 
If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtca.nyc. You can also follow us on all the social mediums in the show notes. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, keep not quitting. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.